Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. Today I have a, another fascinating guest with me today. Today I have a um, author, a self-publisher, and a researcher by the name of Alexander Cheskevich. Um, he's from Poland. And uh, I'm going to show his website here to give you an idea of like, the stuff he gets into. And he's going to show you his book as well. So I'm going to share my screen. And this is his website. Uh, can you see that, Alexander? Can you see your web? You should be able to see. No, I can't, unfortunately. And I see you do, you know. Oh, now I see it. As, as you guys can see here, Alexander Cheskevich is a Polish researcher and author. His first book, written at the age of 17, became a major achievement, praised in both his home country and abroad. Alexander's goal is to find the truth, no matter how disturbing it would be. He pursues it by researching ancient text mysteries of the universe and for many more. He's interviewed many prominent hosts and podcasters. Alexander has been watched and listened to by millions of people over the world. He's a content creator active on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And this is his book. It's called uh, Deja Vu, Everything Has Already Been. And we're going to talk about that today. And then we'll talk about like some of the, uh, but you see like he does a uh, universe, the mysteries, lost history, spirituality and self-development. And then if you go down here, this is his website. It's uh, cheskevichglobal.com. And I'll, I'll put links in the description. Um, as you see, he's had people like Paul Wallace, who's been on my show as well. Um, he talks about consciousness, lost civilizations, um, the, the pyramids, uh, Zodiac and stuff like that. So we'll, I mean, maybe I'll leave this up. So we have a lot of topics for today and I, it'll mm -hmm. spark my interest, but, or, you know, or spark ideas for us to talk about stuff. But, um, Alexander, thank you for coming on. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine. I have really lots of things to do. You're showing all of those videos and stuff like that. And I have plenty of more in the process of recording, editing. So there would there will be many of things happening when it comes to my social media. I need to update my page because there was an old cover of my book. I've changed that in order for it to be much better when it comes, you know, to Amazon rankings and clickings. Unfortunately, it is very important. Let's do and... that. I'll stop the share for a second. You want to show your book? Yes, I can show you. Here it is. It is about 450 pages. And I've really tried to make it, you know, as high quality as possible. And the same and the same one I want to show you is in Polish. And as you mentioned on my website, I was interviewed already by many prominent interviewers, researchers, podcasters, and many people. I forgot, unfortunately, to send you my book. I will send it tomorrow morning. But many people really liked it. And I thought, you know, this is these are a very controversial topic. I thought that, you know, as a very young person, I wrote my book at just the age of 17. You know, I was thinking about lots of hate and comments and things like that. But fortunately, I've sold more than a thousand copies in Poland and a few hundred abroad. And most of the reviews and comments and emails that that I've received were very positive and sometimes really, 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 really positive. So I'm very happy about that. And I now want to publish also more books because, you know, it was 
It was a long journey because, as I mentioned, I've uh, written it at the age of 17. Then I needed to wait till the age of 18 because of some legal stuff. I couldn't publish it in Poland. So I was waiting when the when I was 18, I published it first in Polish. And then at the age of 19, I translated it myself into English. And many people say, oh, we translated it. So it may be like a little bit, you know, bad or not that fun to read but i was working a lot with that with this book with the translation of this book and many people from you know native english speaking countries were really praising that you cannot distinguish that it is translated by myself so i'm really happy about my book yeah, and so i want right to now? publish more mm -hmm. how old are you right now i'm now i will be 21 in april so wow. i'm still 20 you know what? I always say that I think that's amazing. I think that the youth like needs to have more interest in these subjects. I'm 43 mm -hmm. years old and there's a there's a there's a guy, there's a couple people I know that are um that are young that are like in in this like the, and I try to support them as much as I can. Like there's a young man who follows me on uh, Facebook. His name's Eddie Soto. He's he's like he's like very young and he started like an extraterrestrials like group and stuff like that and then there's you with this book, um, the, which I think is amazing. And then there's also Marina Saren. She's an experiencer. She's very young. But um, but uh, what, what, why? Usually people, I was like, I'm from 43, by the way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so I think usually people my age get into these topics. What, what sparked your interest to know the nature of reality? And like, and what made you start asking the bigger questions about life and what's going on with it? Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in the universe, in history, especially the ancient ones. I've been watching, you know, documentaries on TV or reading books since a very early age, actually. But, you know, I just went to school and started learning things and learning and learning. And, you know, the higher the class, you know, the more years I was in the educational system, the more I started disliking, you know, learning and getting knowledge and discovering things because everything in the, let's say, academic educational system was very, for me, boring. And that's, you know, initial spark that I had since a very early age was, you know, like, like diminished. And I was always a good student. And because there were changes in the educational system in Poland, I was the last one from the middle high school. It was to be eliminated. And there would be only primary school and then high school. And because of that, the, it was very hard to get into any school after that because there were too many people. It was being canceled and stuff like that. So in order to, you know, go just to any high school I wanted, I attempted a competition, a historic competition. And this historic competition was on a very high level. It was in the middle high school about the age of 15 or 16, something like that. I think 15. And because of that competition, I needed to learn almost everything about our history from the very early time of prehistory like the Neolithic Revolution, cavemen, hunter-gatherers up until the modern era. So, so I was learning. It was a, a very like high degree competition because if you achieve something like some high level 
like some high level in this competition, you can go anywhere you want when it comes to high schools. So it was a very, very, very high level competition. And I was at the middle high school. And in order to achieve anything at that contest, I needed to learn from higher levels, like from the academic levels. And, you know, I was learning, learning and learning. And at some point, I was, you know, asking myself, because it was everything from the earliest times of hunter-gatherers, first settlements, ancient civilizations, and so on. And I asked myself, is it really everything? Because in all of those textbooks and books from academia, it was shown like we know almost everything about our history, especially the oldest ones, because I was the most like engaged and the most fascinated by it. And I thought to myself, do we really know everything? And that's how everything started, because I started digging deeper and deeper. I not only went into some we call today alternative history, alternative theories when it comes to our past, but I also studied extensively the history of science. And after studying the history of science, of how we know things, you know, how throughout the ages we started learning about history, about uh, certain civilizations and stuff like that. And after studying it, I came to a realization that we are very arrogant when it comes to thinking that we know almost everything about our history. And when it comes to academia, we are excluding any possibility of any lost civilization like Atlantis. But after studying the history of science, I thought that this concept was very arrogant because, for instance, Mesopotamia, including ancient Sumer, Akkad, Assyria, Babylon, was discovered only 180 years ago, less than 200 years ago. And before that, there were plenty of mentions, like even in the Bible, there was a mention that Abraham came from the Sumerian city of Ur, but also many other historians and chroniclers since the ancient times were telling us that there were cities and civilizations in the region of the rivers Euphrates and Tigris in the region of ancient Mesopotamia. But all of those mentioned were taken as just fairy tales, just imagination, or maybe there was something wrong with them because we didn't have any evidence of those cities and civilizations. And it wasn't until 1840s, less than 200 years ago, that we discovered or rediscovered that something existed on the area of ancient Mesopotamia. And now, 180 years later, it is like casual knowledge that the first, the first civilization was probably ancient Sumer. So I thought to myself, if it was the case just less than 200 years ago with Sumer, can it be with other mentions of lost civilizations like Atlantis, Mu, or other stories that are found all over the world? So after that, I started digging into not the history of science, but into mythology. Because since childhood, actually, since the primary school, since the earliest like grades, earliest classes of primary school, we are learning that myths are just primitive attempts of primitive people to explain some physical phenomena, like lightning strikes or like fires and stuff like that. But I thought that, that because I was traveling a lot of that time during the middle high school, and I thought to myself, 
were our ancient ancestors who built the magnificent Acropolis in Athens, who probably built the Great Pyramid of Giza, who built other monuments all over the world that are so magnificent, where all of those ancient ancestors really so primitive to think that, you know, some gods were doing this or that, you know, we cannot control this and stuff like that. I thought that this interpretation is wrong. And I started, you know, going into interpreting the myths and legends and I started finding, you know, more and more advanced concepts in them. And I found out that our history may be totally different and that our understanding of our ancient ancestors and ancient civilizations may be very, very wrong. And we may be too arrogant to assume that we know so much about them. I agree. I agree. And it, it seems like the Sumerians, when you like when you I always tell people this and I, I've heard people say this in podcasts, like when you look at the Sumerian civilization, like they knew so much. So it mm -hmm. makes me think that either the tales of the gods were real and the gods taught the Sumerians everything they knew. Like somehow the Sumerians knew the color of the planets like they knew either that or, or things were. There's a lot of there's a lot of different explanations for this as mm -hmm. to why the Sumerians knew so much. And it could be, number one, that the gods were you know teaching them this stuff and the gods were real. Or it could mean that we lived in some kind of. Um, Vapor canopy. I've heard this theory go around. You know, I know Jason Brashears talks about it that um, we lived in like a vapor canopy and like everything was much more visible. So, so maybe, mm -hmm. or, or the third explanation I have for why the Sumerians might have known so much is that there were civilizations before it that we don't even know about. Like maybe mm -hmm. stuff like Atlantis or Lemuria that like they they learn from. You know, um, mm -hmm. so those are my three explanations as to why the Sumerians might have known so much i mean i i like to think i love the story of the anunnaki so i like the the story of the gods but personally you know i i feel like that also i i also feel like if they were telling the stories about these gods like oh also here's another explanation i just i just remembered this too a lot of people think that the sumerians uh, were, were actually uh, as descendants of the ancient aryans um and the ancient indo-european aryans that traveled all across the world and spread civilization um so there's that too so there's like four different possibilities there as to why i mean have you looked into all those alternative theories and what do you think about everything i just said mm -hmm. Uh, I will start, you know, with a very broad generalization why not only in Sumer, but also in India and in many other parts of the world, there was a very extensive knowledge about things that people probably couldn't have achieved by using some like physical things unless they had some very, very advanced technology. I think that to some extent, it may be a very, very ancient, even prehistoric knowledge, as you mentioned, maybe from Atlantis or from previous civilizations that was passed down. And it is very in accordance with plenty of myths, even from ancient Sumer, because we think that, you know, ancient ancestors discovered all of those things that you mentioned when it comes to Sumer, but even ancient Sumer were telling us that those achievements weren't theirs, that those achievements were from very, very older, much older times. 
from much older prehistory of humanity. We've got the Sumerian kings list that are telling us of hundreds of thousands of years of different rulers that were ruling, you know, some kind of civilizations, maybe on the area of ancient Mesopotamia. Also, we've got, for instance, mentions like from the library of Ashurbanipal that it was a pre-Diluvian knowledge. So to some extent, it is probably like lost knowledge from previous times and in my book i will continue i will go into that later a bit in my book i show that there is some physical knowledge as we mentioned that may be achieved through some advancement but also i think there is like psychic knowledge like knowledge that was gathered not by just physical senses but by let's say mind explore explorations you know things like that and it's more accordance with ancient india in ancient india there are traditions of the yogis and people who were who had very very advanced psychic abilities that even in those texts like mahabharata there is a mention that those psychic abilities diminished throughout the ages and nowadays we are in a material age solely of matter kali yuga and i think that some knowledge like of the cosmos like of some deeper philosophical meanings or even maybe of the solar system may have been achieved through psychic like abilities psychic like gnosis maybe like later gnostics were telling us and it's also in accordance with the hermeticism the philosophy of ancient egypt that there are plenty of mentions that humans are both material and both like psychic they have they have souls and there's a mention that you can go into two ways you've got two ways you can go and explore the cosmos outside or you can go and explore inwards inside of you like as above so below as within so without so i think that some knowledge may be may have been achieved through those different non-material non-physical means i agree I agree. I, I agree a hundred percent. So what do you think that what kind of technology do you think we had? Do you think it was like, um, do, do you think that we were like much more advanced? Now you said psychically as well. So do you mm -hmm. think that our ancestors were more spiritually evolved and these is things that we lost now that we're just coming back into now, you think? Yes. And even, you know, we are talking about Atlantis, about Plato's dialogues, but many researchers, I found that many researchers omitted a very important, but maybe vaguely described quote, mention of Plato in his Timaeusian Critias, because Plato is telling us that Atlantis fell because people were starting to be more like animals than men. They were like going into our lower nature of lust, of hunger, of greed, of being like animals. And they lost like this spiritual sense, like this higher consciousness. They lost those higher abilities. And that was the cause of the fall of Atlantis. And I mentioned Hugas in Mahabharata, which is one of the oldest and the longest, you know, survive text, ancient text that survived there is a mention of yugas it is a very very old tradition and there is mention that there are four different ages and similar thing can be found in greece and there are four different ages there is the satya yuga also called the krita yuga which is the golden age but we may think of a golden 
age like some paradise like full of gold palaces and stuff like that but in you guys the golden age is full of spirituality and there is mention that people are so spiritual that they don't need any you know from the material stuff then there are other ages there are four of them then there is the treta age which is like Preferred of that spirituality then there is a dvapara yuga which is like half of that spirituality and then there is kali yuga and even in mahabharata there is an exact date of the kali yuga which is 18th of february 3102 years bc and it's very coincidental because at that time the first civilizations of ancient egypt Sumer and India arose. There, of course, was something before that, like 4000 BC, but about 3100 years BC, all of those civilizations really flourished. And we say that, you know, Lower and Upper Egypt unified. We say that there was Golden Age of Mesopotamia, of Sumer, and we say that, you know, first civilizations of Harappa and Mohenjo-daro appeared at approximately this same age. So it may be that we are in this Kali Yuga still, because those Yugas are sometimes long sometimes short there are different you know methods of counting them but when it comes to Kali Yuga there is a mention that people are totally immersed in the material physical world that all of that spirituality is only one fourth like a quarter of the spirituality of the golden age so isn't it similar to the Plato's full of Atlantis that people disconnected from the spiritual, started being like animals, like physical beings, because we cannot deny that we are conscious, we are homo sapiens, but we have also those primitive animalistic behaviors and stuff inside of us. We can deny it, of course. So it may be that we are in this Kali Yuga, in this dark age, in this physical age, full of matter, of disconnection from spirituality. And as some people are telling us that we are entering the age of Aquarius, maybe we are going away of Kali Yuga. Maybe you are transitioning into other age. Who knows? There are several different systems of counting those cycles of time. So it is very interesting because we may really have been much more psychic in the distant past and we see that in Plato, in the fall of Atlantis, we see that in India and also in some other like traditions. Even in the Bible we've got the idea like broadly speaking of the fall that we're you know in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were not ashamed of their nakedness, you know maybe they were not that into the physical realm and then there was a fall maybe it was fall into the spiritual into the material realm that we are living in right now and i also mentioned in the almost last chapter of my book the idea of cyclical time and it may be that those ideas of yugas and other cycles of time may be real yeah that's interesting one thing about atlantis i was thinking about was do mm -hmm. you feel like when um with that maybe they were um experimenting like making like like weird chimeras i mean that's mm -hmm. something that people um have um kind of hypothesized too that maybe um they were using like dark magic in atlantis like this is all like very speculative right so this mm -hmm. isn't like anything we can prove but like mm -hmm. that they were using like dark magic and they were like making like human animal chimeras so it got out of control. So one of the gods like Poseidon decided to, um, you know, to mm -hmm. destroy it or whatever. And then there's also a link that Poseidon could have been the Anunnaki god Anki. I mean, they, they kind of relate, they have like traits. So I don't know. That's just interesting stuff. I thought, mm -hmm. you know? 
It is a very interesting thing, but what you mentioned about this chimeras and dark magic is mostly, we can find it mostly in like some psychic accounts like Edgar Casey or other mediums, which are of course maybe true, who knows, we can find some evidence to support those theses, but in my book I mostly, you know, was focusing on the physical stuff because I know that by, you know, if we can show physically by analyzing our history that there are cases of repeated history throughout the zodiac eras, throughout those cycles of times, then we can, you know, have a much bigger shift than if we were only focusing on spiritual ideas of karma, reincarnation and stuff like that. Because if more and more people were to see that there are some physical evidence for those metaphysical, non-physical concepts like the cycles of time, then they may you know, be awakened and they may awake to some like higher spiritual metaphysical stuff. So I focus mostly on the material, but what you are mentioning that it may be that, you know, some kind of god or gods destroyed the Atlantis because of the dark magic or those chimeras. There is an interesting mention in the Epic of Atrahasis from Mesopotamia. In Epic of Atrahasis, which is, you know, almost the same story like of Noah and his Ark, the, there is a mention that humanity was wiped out during the flood because it was not bearable. There was the council of gods, you mentioned Anunnaki, there were gods, I don't remember, there was, I think, Enki, Enlil, and those gods. And they were, you know, having, having a council meeting, and they were saying that humanity is unbearable, they are so loud, there are, there are so many of them, you know, there was complete chaos, and... And those gods, you know, couldn't live with it. So they decided to, you know, create a giant flood, giant deluge in order to destroy humanity. And this chaos is also described that it came, it came to a point in which there were droughts, there were catastrophes, there was even cannibalism and stuff like that. So it may be connected with what you mentioned with dark magic, with making hybrids of chime or chimeras or stuff like that, because, you know, these things are unnatural, these things are out of balance and are, you know, chaotic. We know that black magic is, you know, out of balance is bad. So it may be connected to the Epic of Atrahasis in which there was a complete chaos and people were unbearable. I agree. I, I love this story of the Atrahasis. Like, I feel like there's so much to learn from the Atrahasis and the, I feel like the, the, the I think the, the most important documents we have as far as like ancient Sumeria goes, or, you know, obviously the Enuma Elish, the Atrahasis, then the Epic of Gilgamesh and the mm -hmm. Sumerian Kings list. But like, I, I've studied these extensively. Like, you know, I, uh, I even, I even found an interesting one. Well, I, I, I didn't find it. I, I heard Matthew LaCroix mm -hmm. state this there's in the one tablet, I, you know, it's called Anki in the world order. Um, and mm -hmm. in this tablet, Anki is talking to Anana. And what, what, it, what is interesting about it is they're talking about like, um, Enki's talking about how Inanna has control over the Indus Valley, which makes me mm. think that there was like a connection there between mm -hmm. um, Sumer and ancient India. I feel like maybe mm -hmm. a lot of these cultures were a lot more connected than we think. Like mm -hmm. even like um, there's studies like here in like America 
um, of like um, ancient copper mining. I don't know if you ever mm -hmm. got into this. Is, yes, this is yes. fascinating that like the Vikings mm -hmm. and the uh, Phoenicians could have come here, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, much earlier than Columbus, you know, uh, been, and then, but, uh, you know, so what makes me think that like, you know, our, our cultures were much more connected um, than mm -hmm. we know or than we yes. can even imagine. What do you think? Yes, in my book, I provide the reader with plenty of examples of connections between sometimes very, very isolated locations from all over the world. Like the Harappan and Mohenjo-Daro from India script from there is very similar to the Rongorongo script from Easter Island, which is, you know, located on the other side of the globe. You know, we've got India and we've got Easter Island. The same thing may be said with, for instance, the alignment of the pyramids. The three in Giza are aligned to the three stars of the Orion belt, which isn't a random thing because in ancient Egypt Orion was worshipped and had some meaning with, you know, afterlife and stuff like that. But the same thing can be found in Mexico in Teotihuacan. And it is the same alignment, like the biggest, the great planet of Giza has one star, is aligned to one star, and the biggest pyramid in Teotihuacan is aligned to the same star. And this, these three pyramids in Teotihuacan are aligned in the same way that those in uh, Giza. And also when it comes to Giza and Teotihuacan, the biggest pyramid at Giza, the Great Pyramid of Khufu, let's say, has the same base area just as the biggest pyramid in Teotihuacan in Mexico. So, you know, we can say that we found a correlation. If it was only the alignment of three pyramids, we, we may say, oh, these are just three pyramids. It, it is a random coincidence. But now we see that the base area of the Great Pyramid of Giza is the same like of the greatest, the biggest pyramid of Teotihuacan in Mexico. So that is beyond coincidence. Now we've got also the height, which is approximately half when it comes to Teotihuacan, this biggest pyramid. It is like almost exactly half of the great pyramid of Giza, which is again beyond a mere coincidence. And then we go to like the third part of the world, to China. The Xi'an pyramids are also aligned to the Orion Belt constellation. It is all the same. And we've got Mexico, Egypt, and China, like completely, like three completely different parts of the globe. So there are things like that. I provide some more information in my book, and these are very interesting. I agree. I agree. I love how you you're 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 focusing on the uh the physical stuff mm -hmm. in your book and you're providing a lot of evidence. Now let's get into your book um a little bit. Deja vu has everything already mm -hmm. been like why do you say that? Like be okay, because I'll just tell you something that like I've talked about in my podcast many times. And I feel like it like resonates with me or rings true. Like a lot of times I'll get deja vu or I'll get dreams of, um, you know, like that I feel like I've already done this life before, you know, like, and, you know, we talk about past lives and, um, you know, I, I, I feel like there could also be parallel lives. Like we've lived mm -hmm. this exact life and maybe we keep coming back to um, do it over again because we're missing something like we're doing something wrong. Like, so mm -hmm. I don't know if you, if you listen to my show, you probably heard me talk about that, but like, so is it, I mean, like, why did you call your book deja vu? Is did mm -hmm. it have something to do with anything like that? Or like, what, what did you, what did yes. you, 
I came up with this name with this title very early, like when I was 15. And at that time, I was mostly focusing on the idea that, you know, nowadays we are thinking that we are in the apex of civilization. And, you know, throughout the last 100 or 200 years, there were plenty of scenarios of a total annihilation. So I thought of the same thing when it comes to our ancient past, that that's why it's deja vu, that it is the same thing, that there probably were ancient, advanced or even prehistoric advanced civilizations in the distant past. So maybe it is that there are, you know, rises and falls of civilizations. So that was the initial idea, which was like, you know, not very philosophic or not very, as you mentioned, sound, sounding like true. It was very, I would say, primitive to some extent, but it was, you know, always an idea and it was worth, you know, describing in my book. So I started with that, but at the end of my book, I think before the last chapter, which is summary of my book, I have a chapter about cycles of time. And I had an idea for from the beginning, you know, after analyzing lost civilizations, also the decay of civilization like ours, in how many years, in how much time civilization like ours would disappear when it comes to different kinds of a catastrophe, catastrophes and things like that. So I started describing that. I started describing probable ancient or prehistoric cataclysms, then some ancient texts, pyramids, megaliths, stuff like that. And I had from the beginning an idea that at the end I will focus on ancient traditions about this cyclical time. But when I was researching that and when I was writing this chapter, I came to so many things. Also when it comes to the connection between those texts, but also to like some, as you mentioned, physical evidence for a true repeating history and cases of, as you mentioned, maybe even reincarnation. And, you know, I started the chapter from analyzing those yugas that I told at the beginning, that there are Hindu cycles of times, that they are very similar to ancient Greek ones that these are these ages and that it fits when it comes to the timeline of first civilization, stuff like that. But then I've re I read a book called The Synchronicity Key by David, David Wilcock. And in it, David Wilcock, after an analysis of two astrologers from France, found that there are uh, there is at least one very specific case of a repeated history. And it really connected everything to me because at that time I was, I was also starting researching like reincarnation, afterlife and stuff like that. But it really clicked to me because in chapter two, I was extensively describing a very advanced knowledge of our ancestors about the zodiacs, the zodiacal epochs. And I mentioned that there are zodiacal epochs that are connected with the great year of about 25,920 years. And that this is very advanced knowledge because if there is a cycle of our earth that happens to be about 25,920 years in length, then how our ancient ancestors could know about that? You know, it is how did they measure it? If we've got a cycle of 360 degrees, then one degree of that change is about 72 years, which is, you know, a very, very large ancient lifespan of a human being. So I thought that this is very advanced knowledge and I described it in my book. But at the end, I found in this uh, the synchronicity key by David, David Wilcock that 
the repeating history happens actually according to those same zodiacal epochs that I was describing before. And I was mentioning that, you know, maybe there was an age of Leo in prehistory, so maybe the Great Sphinx of Giza was built because, you know, it is a lion-like statue. I was mentioning things like that. And then I found that there is a true case of repeating history in the exact dates that I was mentioning before. And in the exact dates that were mentioned but by our ancient ancestors. Because when it comes to the procession of the equinoxes, the processional numbers can be found in the Rig Veda, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, in the Bible, and in many, many other myths and legends from all over the world. And when it comes to this case, this particular idea of repeating history, it was a repeated case from ancient Rome in the next zodiacal era, during the, I think, 1800s of the United States. And the Punic Wars of ancient Rome were in the exact same time frames during the next zodiacal era, exactly 2160 years, which is one zodiacal epoch. I calculate all of those numbers because they may, be, they, they may seem confusing in my book. But you know, this was... This wasn't the case like, you know, during the next zodiacal epoch, a single event happened very similarly, but it was a consecutive, like consecutive events were happening during the same period in the next zodiacal era, exactly within like a few months of difference. So I was shocked by that. And, you know, there are even people like Hitler, which who was, of course, a very bad person. And we've got Hannibal in, you know, as the enemy of ancient Rome. And Hannibal, the name Hannibal means like it is connected to Baal. And Baal is like Satan. It is a very, very like negative entity. And when it comes to like the statue of Hannibal from the ancient times, it is very similar to like modern version of Adolf Hitler. So in this book by David Wilcock, I found a very, very a very, very like material case of repeating history that was beyond a coincidence because these were the these were events that spanned throughout let's say 70 years. And you know, there was like the end of a one war, and you know, in the next zodiacal epoch, there was the end of like some also some war, and then there was like some peacetime, and then there was peacetime. And you know, you can trace, I've got it in almost the last chapter of my book, you can trace, you can calculate everything and everything is aligned perfectly. It seems like similar events happened in the next zodiacal epoch, but you know, in different environment because we are speaking of ancient Rome and we are speaking of 1800s in the United States of America. But the, the, there were similar people involved in both of those, let's say, repeating events, and also there were the same dates. So I was shocked, and I finished my book with that in mind, and it was, you know, like, not only this deja vu, like, primitive materialistic thinking that there may have been falls of civilizations and things like that, but it was also deeper spiritual, even philosophic, about true repeating history that was really happening. And it was synchronistic because it happened to be in those time frames of the zodiacal epoch that I was describing before and which I was analyzing extensively. So I was really shocked and it is about the deja vu that as we experience deja vu that, you know, it's like it feels like it happened before and it may be that 
there is something like to some extent maybe destiny maybe not like completely a hundred percent carved in stone but there are cycles in those higher like spiritual realms in this cyclical time and these cycles are you know making us into some situations that we need to repeat so that was an amazing finish when it comes to finishing writing my book that's fascinating. Yeah. That, um, one thing that you, uh, you have here that, uh, that you, I was looking over your videos here and uh, I, was, I've been sharing them on the screen is uh, you, you said that there is a secret chamber found in the pyramid of Giza. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the significance to that? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly if it is, you know, a secret chamber with some artifacts, but there is a deeper meaning that is also much more evidence-based when it comes to true historic evidence. Because when it comes to the modern theory of the construction of the pyramid by Feria Khufu, we know from all of those alternative historians and all of their theories that there aren't many evidence for that. There are some, we cannot deny some of them, but there, you know, there are just some clues, but we don't know exactly, you know, why the pyramids were built. But for instance, in the medieval times when Arabs conquered Egypt, they were researching, you know, local lore and legends when it comes to the pyramids. And they found that according to those to these local legends, which came from previous Coptic sources, the Great Pyramid and all of the three pyramids of Giza were built in order to preserve pre-relevant knowledge from, let's say, those lost civilization, in order for it to be preserved, because there was to happen a global deluge. And there was a king called Surit or Sorit that well, that had a dream about 300 years before the Great Deluge that it will happen, and then he decided to create the Great Pyramid of Giza and encode and hide in it knowledge, books, some artifacts, and stuff like that. And this is very interesting because when we analyze the Great Pyramid of Giza, you know, Egyptologists say that it is just a, you know, a giant tomb of Khufu. But when it comes to the alignment, to the measurement, it is very precise. And when it comes to this precision and this alignment of the Great Pyramid of Giza, as I mentioned, it was aligned to the Orion Belt constellation, but it was it is also aligned with the number phi, with the golden ratio. It is also aligned with the number phi, so phi, pi, you know, some, you know, basic mathematical ideas and concepts which were totally beyond the scope of ancient Egyptians of that time, of those times, of the, let's say, supposed building of the Great Pyramid by Ferio Khufu during, let's say, approximately 2500 BC. Because at that time, we know from other papyri and other sources that ancient Egyptians were really not advanced because they, for instance, believed that, you know, the earth was very limited to their area, that it was only their area and it was flat beyond that. They believe they had a level of mathematics on, you know, modern level of primary school or something like that. They weren't very advanced. We know that from other sources. So now we see a great pyramid that is that has encoded in it 
the number phi, the golden ratio, number pi. And also, in my opinion, it has in it encoded the measures of the Earth. And these measures are also beyond coincidental because when it comes to the Great Pyramid, it is exactly half of the Earth's hemisphere on a scale of 1 to 43,200. So 1 to 43200. And we know from, you know, New Age and modern spirituality that 432 is very significant, you know, angel numbers or 432 hertz tuning and stuff like that. But it is beyond that. It is connected to the precession of the equinoxes, which is also connected with an astronomical phenomenon of our own planet. So we've got, you know, our own planet. We've got the precession, which is a phenomenon astronomical when it comes to our planet. And we've got those number encoded in the Great Planet of Giza. And what is more fascinating, we know that ancient Egyptian, ancient Egyptians were dividing the, let's say, our 24 hours into two, into two parts of 12 hours, like day and night of 12 hours. And you know what? Just like the Great Pyramid of Giza is a model of half of F, of only the hemisphere of the F on a scale of 1 to 43,200, the number 43,200 is the number of second in half a day. So we've got a correlation between half the earth, half the day. You know, it is beyond, I think, coincidence. Yeah. It may be connected, you know, we've got modern physical ideas of space-time. And we connect that, you know, space and time are all together intertwined. So it may be that it is a hidden message that, you know, we've got physical space of half the earth like measurement and we've got half the time half the day so it was ama an amazing thing but it is beyond that there is much more and even in ancient egyptian sources we see that the god of wisdom toth who was to introduce the hieroglyphic script to ancient Egyptians. Also, Toth can be found in many other parts of the world, for instance, in China, which has the same symbol of Toth in their mythology when it comes to ancient times. But Toth, one of his nicknames was the measurer of the earth. There was a mention that Toth measured the earth and he was the god of wisdom. Who, and you know who, what? Wait, I have a question. I'm uh -huh. sorry. And before you keep going on, I just uh -huh. want to ask you, who is Toth in Chinese? I've never heard mm -hmm. about the Thoth, the, 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 the equivalent mm -hmm. of Thoth in Chinese. Yes, like, yes. I know. Okay. So here's what I know. I know that we, like Thoth was Hermes in, in mm -hmm. Greece and yes. possibly, and then he was possibly Ningshida, Enki's son in, in Sumerian, yes. if you want to make mm -hmm. that. And then also people in the esoteric traditions go as far as to say that he was Quetzalcoatl and Kukulcan mm -hmm. in Mexico, you know, but like, I've never heard of a representation of him in China. This is very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that, you know, that Toth was also Hermes according to Greece. That's why the, it is Hermes Trismegistus. And when it comes, you know, to this Hermes Trismegistus, there is a symbol of Caduceus, which is like a human spine. There are two serpents, like in the shape of a DNA. And it's there a are medical two symbol. It's like yes, what we it, use for a medical Yes, symbol. it is also that symbol. It is also a symbol of healing. And when it comes to Caduceus, you know, it is in esoteric circles, it is about, you know, the masculine and feminine coming together, also maybe through the spine when it comes to chakra and stuff like that. But when it comes to ancient Egypt, we know that Toph was not the only one to introduce 
the script to ancient Egyptians because he was working with his wife. I don't remember the name of his wife exactly, but he was with his wife. So we've got two people that introduced this script to ancient Egyptians. And in China, there is also a pair of gods, just like Toast and his wife, who introduced script to ancient China. And this pair of gods was illustrated in a very, very similar symbol to Caduceus because there were two serpents or two dragons that were coming into this DNA shape. So this is, I don't remember the Chinese names because they are very confusing, but this is the Toth, this pair of Toth and his wife in China. There is the same Caduceus symbol of Toth of Hermes Trismegistus found in China. There is the same mention of a pair of gods that is introducing a script. And there is the same mention that there were gods of wisdom. And there is the same mention, the same symbol of Caduceus. So I think that is beyond a coincidence. Yeah, I looked up Thoth's wife. It was Mott, M-A-A-T. Mm-hmm. No, Maybe, no, no, yes. she, yeah, there yeah. Are different versions. Yeah, there it says uh, Mott was often considered to be the daughter of Ra and was married to Thoth, god of wisdom. Um, I, I just looked that up, and then, mm-hmm. and then it also think says that it was different name. She, but you know, oh, wait, wait uh-huh. here we go. Here's another one. It says uh-huh. Shat was also the female counterpart to Thoth. She is sometimes referred uh-huh. to as wife, and other times takes on the role of his daughter. That's weird. I think it was it was Seshat, I think, more than Matt. I think that it was Seshat. You know, there are different tales, you know, there were different schools of thought in ancient Egypt. And that's why it is very it is sometimes very confusing. But we've got all of those mentions that are very, very similar. And I think that just as in the case of the pyramids are beyond coincidence. Because as I mentioned, the pyramids, if it was only the alignment to Orion, we may say that you know, oh, they placed for pyramids and it is random. But then we had all of those measurements of the biggest pyramids in both of those sites of Mexico and Egypt. And here we also may say, you know, there were a there was a pair of gods that introduced script in Egypt and in, in China. But here we've got the symbol of Caduceus and we've got, you know, this mention also of gods of wisdom, of script and stuff like that, which is, in my opinion, beyond a coincidence. So it may be that, you know, Toth was traveling the world, maybe introducing script and teaching people many, many different stuff. But coming back to the pyramids, because I mentioned that one of the nicknames of Toth was the measurer of the earth. And do you remember I mentioned Arab chroniclers that mentioned King Surit who built pyramids in order to preserve knowledge. And they mentioned even in the medieval times that King Surit was most probably the same person that the Egyptians venerated as the god Toth. So it may be that Surit and Toth were the same persons and the, the same people. And if Surit saw it was to encode and hid knowledge in the Great Pyramid in order to preserve it, and if Toth was mentioned to be the measurer of the earth and god of wisdom, it may be that we have a connection that those measurements of the earth were encoded in the pyramid. And we mentioned that the, these measurements are most probably encoded. So we've got plenty of stuff. And I even think of writing a book on prehistoric measures of the earth and this connection to Egypt, because throughout the history, even many, many prominent mathematicians were commenting that 
the measurements of the Earth were much older than, you know, the standard version that Eratosthenes of Cyrene measured the Earth in the ancient times. Even, you know, Pierre Simon de Laplace, who was, very pro who was a very prominent mathematician and who was, you know, an atheist, you know, he was one of those people who introduced atheism into the Western world. So if even a person like that was thinking that Eratosthenes of Cyrene wasn't the first, there may be something. The same with Newton. Newton was into alchemy, Kabbalah, and stuff like that, and he believed, and he was searching for the measurements of the Earth in the Great Planet of Giza, because he needed that in order to formulate his theory of gravity, because he needed to know, you know, how big is the Earth in order to calculate the G, the number G in physics, you know, the gravity, how strong this force is. So even Isaac Newton was searching for the measurements of the Earth in the Great Pyramid of Giza. There is much more to this topic, and I think that if we have some clues to the prehistoric measurements of the Earth in those very distant times, it may be connected to like those anomalous maps, like the Puris map, like Orange Phineus map, and others map that were mostly popularized by Charles Habgood and Graham Hancock when it comes to, you know, times before the last ice age. Maybe this knowledge is from before the last ice age, maybe even from Atlantis, from people who were able to navigate throughout the world and maybe even measure the entire planet and encode that message into buildings like the Great Planet of Giza. That's fascinating. Well, mm -hmm. well, we've been going almost an hour. Um, is there anything <laughs> else you want to cover before we finish up for today? Like, is there anything that we want that you want to touch on that we haven't touched on? No, I think you know. I I know plenty of different topics. As you say here, it is lost civilization, cyclical time consciousness. So I won't ever be able to talk about everything in a single video, but I want to, you know, show you again, everyone, my book. And I think I send you a link to Amazon so people can find it. It is Deja V has everything already been. Now I have also a publishing company here in Poland and I plan plenty of more publications soon, maybe even in this year. And also I would like to share all of my social media like Facebook, YouTube, because I am in the process of creating plenty of YouTube videos, you know, plenty of things like that, even maybe articles on my website. So this year there will be plenty of things happening when it comes to me. I will be also appearing on plenty, not only on your podcast, but also on plenty of other very, very big podcasts, interviews and stuff like that. And I really thank you for having me on your show. And I hope that my message was you know, very valuable to all the listeners. It was. And, you know, it's just an honor to have someone your age, like as knowledgeable as you are. I think we need more people like yourself in the world. You know, it's the younger generation that's going to carry this on. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I do this so that like people can learn a real history of the earth and, 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 and learn. And, you know, the, I mean, the things that we're not taught in school, you know, so mm -hmm. it's like, I think it's fascinating what you're doing and I, I'll help you promote it in any way possible. Just send me all your links over. And when I post the video in mm -hmm. a couple of days, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll put them in the description and I'll put a description to buy your book too. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So yes, I will also send you a PDF because I, sorry, I forgot. That's okay. That's okay. Well, um, do you want to tell everybody your website and thank you again for, um, for, uh, coming on and, and yeah, it was amazing. 
Yes, I. But I think that most of English speakers won't be able, you know, to type it. So you know, it is Alexander Cheshkevich. So it is even, you know, a funny thing that plenty of people are telling in the comments, comments of interviews and podcasts that oh, it is this guy that I can't spell his name. I finally found him. So <laughs> well, I'll put a link for your advantage. website in the description. Yes, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Okay, Alexander, nice meeting you. And I'll, I'll send you a link when I post this in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Okay, have a thank good you, night. Thank you.